Amen. Thank you, youth, for leading us tonight and singing those songs that really focus on Christ. We think about Christmas. I hope you do think about him as more than just a babe that was in a manger. But you think about him even as those words were saying for Mary to know and to understand. And thankfully we do know that according to God's word, she did ponder those things in her heart. She did come to understand who Jesus was, that he was the Savior and he was her Savior. And she believed in him. And I pray that is true of your heart and your life here tonight. If you have a Bible this evening, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as we continue our series on the description, the definition of love, of biblical love, of agape love, this love that we see described here by the Apostle Paul, where he says, beginning in verse 4, that love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous. Love does not brag and it's not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Because love never fails. Beloved, this evening as we come to this portion of scripture once again, our focus is going to be on verse 6 together. And I'm sure you've heard a statement like this before in your life, if you've ever been around other people and just talking about scripture, talking about God's word, talking about salvation. I'm sure you've heard statements like doctrine divides or truth divides. And as you hear those statements, I hope that you would acknowledge that they are true statements because truth does divide. If you think about this, the truth of God's word that brings a division It brings a division between those who are the saved and those who are the perishing. Those who are the believers and those who are the unbelievers. Those who have the promise of eternal life and those who will have the promise of an eternal hell and destruction. And all that comes back to the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel that begins to divide and separate in that sense. But oftentimes when this mantra is brought up. It's brought up in a way of, of trying to say that truth is unloving or doctrine is unloving. To be doctrinal is to be unloving. It is an unloving thing to be precise in rejoicing in God's word and what it has to say. But I want you to understand as we're going to look tonight here at verse 6 together that that is just the opposite of what God's Word teaches. In fact, if you think about it, the most unloving thing that you and I, that that we could do for someone, is to not tell them the truth. It's to especially not tell them the truth in regards to their need of Christ. To not tell them the truth in regards to their need of repenting of their sins and putting their faith in Christ. To not tell them the truth that the only hope they have is in Christ. And the only way they can have 
salvation is through Christ alone, through his perfect life, his death on the cross for their sins, his resurrection, and how it is they come to have that applied to their life. We must tell them the truth. That is the most loving thing that we can do for anyone, is to tell them the truth. And what Paul is getting at here. As he's describing again this idea of love, the the concept of love, that we see that love is associated with truth. It's associated with the Word of God. Because he says there, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. The key phrase, the key word there I want you to think about for a moment as we prepare to, to unravel what he's trying to unfold for us here in verse 6, is the key word is rejoicing. To rejoice. And when you think about this idea of rejoicing here, what he's saying, uh, it's what we say yes to. It's what we enjoy. It's what we take pleasure in. And he's stating the case here up front. That love does not rejoice. It does not say yes. It does not enjoy. It does not take pleasure in unrighteousness. Because those things are sinful and they're displeasing to God. Thus as believers we are not to justify our sin. We're not to justify the sin of others. We're not to pretend that something is right when it is not. To do so would be to violate what he's saying here in verse 6 of not rejoicing in unrighteousness. Or as God says to the prophet Isaiah, where he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Beloved, sadly, this is the state of affairs in our society today, that our society that we live in here, yes, in the the good old USA, uh, good old America that we love, here in our society, we are a society that rejoices in unrighteousness. That is, we take pleasure in it. We say yes to it as a society. It's interesting here, in the last week or so, I came across an article And in that article, it was talking about uh, an outside group had come into a school. And in that school, they were teaching about abstinence, about abstaining. And as they were doing that, they taught it in such a way that that it it could bring some shame and guilt potentially on those that would have been there that that had had engaged in sexual activity in a way that they shouldn't according to to God's word. And God's word wasn't even a part of this and bringing up to this in, in this regard. But some of the parents began to complain about this saying that they shouldn't be doing this because this could bring shame and guilt. Now beloved, shame and guilt are actually good things when there's legitimate shame and guilt. But the way it was coming across in the article was is that we should be rejoicing in their unrighteousness. Now the good news is is when we go to share with someone like that, that, that's the hard thing there when we 
someone goes into school like that, they can bring up things that can bring shame and guilt, but you've got to bring them the whole message. And the whole message would be, but your shame and guilt can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. You can be made right with God. And whatever sin it is that you may have engaged in and committed, there is hope in Christ and in Christ alone. We tell them the whole story. This idea of rejoicing in, righteous, in unrighteousness, that that's not love. That's what the world says, but, and that's what our society says, but our society has fallen down the path of Romans chapter 1. Go over there with me for just a moment to kind of tie this together with you. And notice carefully, truth and unrighteousness. In Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So you see here, what he's saying here is that when mankind, when a society begins to suppress the truth, the truth according to the word of God, when they begin to suppress that truth, they want to suppress it in their unrighteousness, in their ungodliness, in their sinfulness. And the reason why they want to suppress that truth is because, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. And notice how it begins to unfold. When truth is being suppressed, and it's being suppressed in unrighteousness, this is what will begin to manifest among those people. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of, in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over. He gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, again, God gave them over. And he gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over. And he gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, their slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. 
But notice what it says in verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That is, they don't just practice them themselves, but they are promoting it in such a way that they rejoice in this unrighteousness. They approve and they take pleasure and they say yes. And sadly, beloved, that is where we have come. This is where we are. You see how it is marked down all of what we were reading there. And how that's manifested now so clearly in our society because the, the truth has been suppressed in unrighteousness. And again, when you think about that word suppression there, think about it in the same way that you would look at it if you, were, if you ever watched a, a, a show on television that had about... Uh, lawyers and attorneys and, and the defense attorney and, and the prosecutor there and the prosecutor's trying to get the evidence in and the defense attorney's trying to suppress the truth. He doesn't want that truth to come into the courtroom because if it comes into the courtroom in front of that jury, it's going to be make it very clear that his client is guilty. And that's the idea here. He's saying they want to suppress the truth. They don't want the truth to come in to the courtroom of their conscience. They don't want the truth to come into the courtroom of their society and where they are because if it does it's going to keep declaring to them that they're guilty and they keep suppressing that out why because they want to not only live the way they want to live but they want to also give hearty approval that is they want to set it up in such a way that society says what we do is right and what they do over here that goes against this is wrong well, beloved, that's where we are. And we must be, as God's people, the loving thing for us to do is not to rejoice with them in this unrighteousness. We cannot rejoice with them about this. Oh, society will tell us that it's progress. Basically, Here's what society says, verse 22. Profess, they profess to be wise. But yet, the more they talk, the more they, they manifest that they're foolish. There's foolishness in their heart. They begin to entertain the futility of speculations. And in so doing, their foolish heart was darkened. And they profess to be wise, but in their professing, they're actually letting the world know that they're fools. They've exchanged the truth for lies. And they're rejoicing in it. But now, beloved, let's be clear about this for us as God's people. As we think about that phrase where Paul is saying there, love, true love, will not rejoice in this unrighteousness. But we need to make sure that we examine our own heart and our own life. That we don't somehow, some way become casual about sin in our life. Sin in our heart. 
I think one of the main areas we could think about in regards to that here tonight would be in the things that maybe that, that we watch, that we listen to, whether it's movies or television or whatever it is. Remember now, love does not take pleasure in unrighteousness. It doesn't enjoy unrighteousness. It doesn't do that. That's not love. Now, easily, sometimes we can become casual about sin and take pleasure in unrighteousness in that way. And beloved, if that is something that you struggle with, I just want to encourage you to think about it in this way. Think about the cost of sin. Think about the cost of sin. In whatever ways that you may find that you tend to maybe sometimes rejoice in unrighteousness. Sometimes you may say yes to things that really go against God's word. You know they go against God's word. You know you see it happening in the life of someone that you love and you care about and you know that and you know what they're doing is wrong. You know they're going down a path they shouldn't be going. And you see it. And yet you can somehow maybe be silent about it sometimes and and eventually begin to take pleasure in it for them. Just remember the cost of sin. The next time you're watching something you shouldn't be watching, remember the cost of sin to Christ Himself. Look back to the cross. Look to His shame. Look to His guilt. The guilt that he took upon himself, the one who was without shame and without guilt, took our shame and guilt upon himself. The one who was without sin goes to the cross where he takes our sin upon himself. There on that cross, suffering horribly for the very sins we are taking pleasure in. How can we rejoice? How can I sit there and rejoice and enjoy and take pleasure in something for which it cost my Savior his life? He died for that sin. Think about the cost of it. But think about the cost of sin to Christians. To Christians who begin to move and to operate in areas where they are taking pleasure in unrighteousness. Think about the harm that it is causing them. Causing them in their walk with the Lord. Causing them in their fellowship with Christ. Nothing good is coming out of that situation. Not only that, beloved, it is causing damage to the gospel of Christ. It's distorting it. It's misleading people. Causes confusion. When they see God's people taking pleasure in unrighteousness. The loving thing to do if we truly have love and love for God in our heart as we want to Walk away from unrighteousness. But also think about the cost of sin to those who are without Christ. Think about oftentimes if you find yourself being entertained in a way 
And things you watch or you listen to and, and the, the things that you're watching, you're listening to, you're entertained by them, you enjoy them, you're taking pleasure in them and you're taking pleasure in things that are there that are actually promoting unrighteousness. And beloved, we're not just talking about sexual sins. You go back here and look in Romans 1 is, is what we're watching is filled with all unrighteousness, this full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, arrogance, boastfulness, disobedience to parents, slanderers, haters of God. I'll be honest with you, there's not hardly a show on television that doesn't somehow in some way teach disrespect and disobedience to parents. But to find pleasure in that, Just think about those that are doing that, that you're watching on stage, you're watching on television, you're watching in a movie, whatever it may be, or maybe you even see it among your friends. Remember for them the cost of sin for them. There's nothing good for them about their sin at all. Actually, they're storing up wrath, God's wrath towards them for the day of judgment. That's what he goes on to say down in Romans chapter 2. They're storing up wrath for themselves in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Just remember this. Turn for a moment over to the book of Ephesians, to Ephesians chapter 5. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, we'll just pick it up in verse 1. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Okay, so he's describing here now about what it is for you to walk, that is to live your life in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for, you, for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there is to be no filthiness, no silly talk, a coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. For with this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 7, therefore don't be partakers with them. You're supposed to live, we're supposed to live as children of light. But notice if we're walking in love, we will not want immorality, we will not want impurity, we will not even want, as it says there, any filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, which is not even fitting. But instead, what should be coming from us and what we should be enjoying is those things that are giving glory to God rather than giving of thanks. We're not supposed to enjoy them, we're supposed to expose them. Verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. We're taking joy sometimes in things, it says in verse 12, that are disgraceful, even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Walk as a wise person. Make the most of your time. Walk in love. Loving Christ, loving God. 
Remember the cost of that sin. Remember the cost of the sin that you're taking pleasure in. Whatever it may be. You say, so I see the negative. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. But finish the verse. What are we to take pleasure in? What are we to rejoice in? Beloved, we're to rejoice in the truth. We rejoice in, with the truth. That is when the truth is being proclaimed. We are to rejoice when the, the truth is what you or someone else is taking a stand on. We are to rejoice when the truth is being lived out in our life personally. When the truth is being lived out in our lives corporately as a congregation. We are to rejoice. This is what we rejoice in when we see the truth being Proclaimed, we see someone standing on the truth, living the truth. This is true love. You see, beloved, love and compassion go hand in hand, but love and compromise of the truth do not. And let me just kind of wrap this up for us a little bit here tonight. This trio of love, truth, joy, rejoicing. Turn, if you will, over towards the back of your Bible to 2 John. Turn to 2 John. And notice this trio that is there. And you will notice when you walk through these epistles of John that love, truth, and joy all go together. They're not to be separated. Verse 1, the elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth. See, again, you love someone in the truth. If I'm not willing to say the truth to you, and you're not willing to say the truth to me, if we're not willing to say the truth to one another, then we can't say what John is saying here, that I'm going to love you in the truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth which abides in us will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad. So here is the rejoicing. John is saying, I was rejoicing to find out that some of your children were walking in truth. Just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask of you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love. That we walk according to his commandments. There's the truth again. If, I, if this is love, love is me actually living out my life according to the commandments of God, according to the word of God. This is the commandment just that you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. And the reason why we need to be careful and diligent about walking and living our life in such a way that we're walking in the truth, we're living in the truth, we're loving in the truth, Because, as he says in verse 7, there are many deceivers. There are many that have gone out into the world. 
and they do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver. This is the Antichrist. Watch yourselves. John knows there's a temptation even for us as believers to begin to drift away from the truth and even drift away from the truth in our understanding about what love is. That somehow love and truth begin to get separated and he keeps urging them, watch yourself, make sure you keep these two together. Love and truth must stay together. This is what you're rejoicing in. So that you don't lose, as he says in verse 8, what we've accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Verse 9, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, just stop right there for a moment. There clearly, you see, John is saying, there is a doctrinal framework. He is saying right there, truth divides. Doctrine divides. If someone is going outside of the teaching of Christ, he has made a distinction. He has said that person does not have God. And to not have God is to say he's an unbeliever. The one who abides in the teaching. And this idea of the teaching of Christ, this is primarily talking here about the the gospel. It's talking about the person of Christ. It's talking about the provision of Christ. It's talking about the path to Christ. If someone is distorting that, then they're going too far. In this context, what they were distorting, as you look back again at verse 7, was that those who don't acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh, they were denying the humanity of Jesus. If there are those that are out there somehow even saying they're teaching in the name of Jesus, but they deny the deity of Jesus, or they deny the humanity of Jesus, or they deny that you're only saved through the sacrificial payment of your sins through Jesus Christ alone, his payment on the cross, his perfect life, or somehow you, you get this salvation through some other means besides turning and putting your faith in Christ, that person is going outside of the teaching of Christ. And notice what he says. Again, notice now, you you just have to read this and think through what we're talking about. Love rejoices with the truth. It does not rejoice with or in unrighteousness. He says in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Don't receive him. Don't receive him into your house. Don't even give him a greeting. Because if you do, he says in verse 11, you are actually now participating in his evil deeds. Look, he's making it very clear that love and truth go together. And when when there's no truth is there, the truth is not right, the, the truth isn't there, it's missing He's saying to them, there is a divide. He had many other things to write to them, but he wanted to see them face to face. Because again, notice in verse 12, so that your joy may be made full. See, Paul, I mean, John is sharing this with them because he he has such a joy in his heart for them, but he wants their joy to be full. You see, truth is, And love and joy all go together. 
That's why he says, if you look over for a moment in 3 John, look at 3 John for a moment. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Verse 3, I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you know this. You know this as a parent. You know this as a grandparent. I know this as a parent. I know this as a pastor. There, brings, there is no greater joy than to hear that those that you love, whether it's a spiritual child in the faith or just your children that the Lord has given you, the grandchildren you have, to hear that they are walking, living in the truth. This is what brings us joy. Because we love in the truth. I can tell you it would bring no joy to my heart for my three kids to grow up, be as successful in the world as the world can be, and not have a genuine saving relationship with Christ and be someone who's living for Christ. That's what would bring the joy. Because I want them loving in the truth. So, beloved, let me just ask you tonight, how are you doing? How are you doing when it comes to loving according to the truth? You may be sitting there tonight and you're under some conviction because you know in some ways that you are rejoicing in unrighteousness. And not only that, you're not really rejoicing in taking the pleasure that you should with the truth. Well, here's the good news. The good news for us, even as believers, is that when we discover these kinds of things in our life, when we discover sin in our life and wrong ways of thinking about things in our life, if we truly confess it, we truly repent it, repent of it, God forgives us. He forgives us. I don't have to carry this around. Christ died to take upon himself our sin, our guilt. Maybe you're here tonight, you know as we read through these things, none of this describes your life. Living in the truth, walking in the truth, being really concerned about the truth. Beloved, maybe that's because you're not in the truth. You don't truly know Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. You need to come to Him. You need to repent of your sins. You need to put your faith in Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment in prayer.